Welcome to On the Road with Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer from the Idle Chatter family of podcasts. I invite you to jump in and join me. Along the way, we will get to know some really interesting people and their stories. Be it farming or firing orders, these folks are passionate about growing things or making horsepower. So let's get this bad boy fired up and head off to destinations unknown. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to On the Road. We got a really, really, really special On the Road today. And uh, it's a little bit different because the gentleman that I'm having as a guest is not only a farmer, but he's also a NHRA world champion funny car driver. And you probably know his name before I even announce it, but we are doing this over the telephone because he's a very busy man and he farms a lot of acres down there in Virginia and the drag racing season is starting. So he is go, he, he was kind enough to be able to give us some time to get on the road with Matt Hagen. Matt, welcome to On the Road. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited to be on it. You're excited. That's that's really a compliment because I'm just a farmer drag racer. Go to A to B. But I want to just you know, I just want to tell the audience. I want I want to go through, if you don't mind, just give me a, a minute or two to go through some of your career highlights as a drag racer. But really, what this is going to be about it it's going to be about you, the father, the husband the farmer and the drag racer. People could go on the internet and find out all about you or watch you on TV. But for those who are not that familiar with Matt's accomplishments, he's a three-time NHRA Funny Car World Champion. He has 40 career wins, 74 career final rounds. He's been in the number one qualifying position for 44, 44 times. His career best elapsed time is 3.799 seconds, and that was out in Indianapolis, a track I always wanted to go to but never got there in 2017. His career best mile an hour is 338.85. Imagine that a rubber-tired vehicle in 1,000 feet from a standing start going to 338, almost 339 miles an hour. His first start was in Reading, Reading, Pennsylvania, 2008. He's the first funny car driver to crack into the three-second barrier. All right, and that was in 3.995 in 2011 down in Charlotte. He's the first funny car driver to break the 3.8-second barrier when he completed a run of 3.879 seconds in Brainerd, Minnesota in 2015. The first funny car driver to reach 330 miles per hour on a 1,000-foot track and the first funny car driver to reach 335 miles per hour. So this guy is some drag racer. Matt, how did you get started in this? I mean, this is, this is some, I mean, this is your Superman. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, uh, honestly, I never really had a, you know, like a, a real intention of, of going out here and being a drag professional drag racer. Um, I had a, I was 13 years old and I had a family friend that basically had a 69 dart and, um, you know, it, it was a gear jammer class and it, you know, that dart would stand up on the, on the back wheel. I mean, basically on the, it would scrape the bumper, you know, and, yeah. and I just thought that was, uh, it was awesome, you know? And so, uh, 13 years old seeing this, this guy, you know, jamming gears in there and the front end up pulling second gear, looking at blue sky. And I was just, I was blown away, you know? And, and basically, you know, I started going there and airing his tires up and, 
dialing in his, his, his number to bracket race and just, he just kind of took me under his wing and obviously wasn't old enough to drive a race car, but they had, um, four wheeler drags on, on Friday night and I had a four wheeler, you know, at 13. So I started taking my four wheeler up there and bracket racing it and beginner's luck or what, I don't know. I, I went to the final, I didn't win, but at 13 years old, I won a hundred $50, you know, wow. so I was like, oh man, yeah, so I was like, I can make money doing this, so it was kind of kind of on from there, you know, I started doing that a little bit, and then finally, you know, after after a few years, I, uh, my dad owns a car dealership, and I started stealing cars off of his lot, and bringing them back with the trannies out of them, and the tires <laughs> bald, and, and so, uh, so he just, he kind of got wind of that, and he, he basically was like, look, I gotta resell this stuff, kid, you know, so He's like, let's, let's figure out a way to get you a real race car and, and go from there. And, you know, what was nice about him having dealership is that we had some local oil sponsors and some different stuff, you know, nothing on the national side of things, but just some local reps and stuff here and there that kind of helped me get a little bit of funding to, to do some entry fees and some help with some parts and pieces and stuff like that. And, and, um, you know, I got to where I was bracket racing and doing well at these little local tracks and, and I, you know, you just have that urge to always go faster. And, um, and so basically they have this thing called quick eight. So the quickest eight cars get to show up and, and race, you know, and it doesn't matter what kind of combo you got or how fast the stuff is or, 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 you know, you bring run what you brung kind of thing, you know what I mean? And you just got to be the quickest eight cars to show up and get down the racetrack. Well, you can have all the power in the world, but some of these racetracks we were racing at were just, they were rough, man. Like they didn't have a whole lot of shutdown. They're super narrow and they did, you know, they're just little holes in the wall. And, and, you know, you trying to take a pro mod car and, and run it down with some of these drag strips that you probably shouldn't be at. And, uh, you know, my first, first car was an old firebird, man. And it had a 632 um, Eagle motor in it with two systems on it. And this thing looked like someone cut their kid's swing set up, honestly, <laughs> and put it together. You know, but but it was a cool car for me because it's like, man, this is my first real race car, you know. And, and so uh, just did a lot of learning with Four Link, and you know, just getting the car to hook up on some of these really bad race tracks and, and applying power. And you know, we we I always used they used to do like a converter car, you know, instead of a clutch for right. a while, and then I moved over over to a clutch, you know, but. But, you know, you look up and you're 18 years old and you start winning these races and you go up to the tower and there's, you know, 50 grand in cash and you're trying to get out of there before you get robbed, you know, and <laughs> it just, uh, you know, you start, start doing some of that. And I start bouncing around to some of these like big dog shows and, you know, street tire stuff. And, you know, you look up and, you know, your race car, you know, you're winning enough to pay for your car and your entry fees. And, you know, I, I ended up getting a, you know, a stacker and a toter and, and you're going like, man, I'm 19 years old, you know, doing this. I was like, this, this might actually be a, a profession, you know, cause I went down to Farm to play some football and, and, uh, found out real quick that I was just going to be someone tackling dummy, you know? And so I transferred colleges back to Radford university back home and really just started kind of focusing on racing a little bit. And, and, um, you know, I, I started, uh, this AMS, uh, pro mod series, which I uh, was rookie of the year in it. And, um, you know, it was like 15 races that we ran in the NHRA and uh, bouncing around on what was, I guess, considered a real tour for me. And, uh, you know, it's just started, uh, once I got on the, the national scale, I started, you know, being able to piece some of these local sponsorships together into into the national company side of things and just kind of learning to sell yourself and, and put packets together and, and, and just, you know, B2B business. I think, 
you know, early on, what helped me was my dad's real, I guess, kind of background knowledge of being very business-like and very professional and, and learning how to put sponsors together to make money between each other and, and, you know, bring in sponsorship to the table to, to do some of that stuff. And, you know, we had this guy by the name of Evan Knoll and, you know, I ran pro mod for six years and was, was semi, you know, successful with it. I wouldn't say we set the world on fire and won a bunch of championships or anything like that, but, but we did well. And, uh, you know, and at the time there's this guy by the name of Evan Knoll and he, uh, he was sponsoring four or five funny cars, top fuel cars, you know, just, just handing money out left and right. And, and we, uh, we own a little, little racetrack back home and, Evan sells race fuel. So that's kind of what he does. So we basically went over there and said, Hey, you know, why don't we sell your fuel at the track? We'll put your sticker on the car. You can help, you know, support the the deal. These other people aren't giving you anything but a sticker. And at least we can sell fuel at our track, you know, and, and help, help, you know, sell your product. And he was like, that's a great idea. So he started sponsoring me on the pro mod side of things. And, and, uh, it went well for a little while. And he calls me up one day and he says, you know, Matt, he said, the ProMod stuff's great. He said, but, you know, I want to drive, I want you to drive a fuel funny car. And I said, well, Mr. No, I don't know if I want to go that fast. You know, these ProMods back then were running 240 miles an hour and a quarter mile. And they're fast, you know, but they're, they're talk about stepping into a fuel car is just a whole different animal. It's a whole different driving style. It's just everything. You're on fire. You're blowing up. You're, you yeah. know, you're running 330 miles an hour. It's just, just a lot of, uh, just a huge change, you know. And, right. and Evan basically said, look, you know, I got $3 million to throw at it. If you don't want to do it, I'm going to give it to somebody else. And, uh, and I said, well, we're, we're going to take your money, you know? So, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, so I got into that and man, like the first, first time I ever got in a fuel funny car, I looked like state, state puff marshmallow, man. It was, you know, you hear all these stories about fires and explosions and I had every piece of fire gear I owned on and probably double layered, you know I mean? <laughs> I was just, just terrified, man, to be honest with you. I, uh, I was like, what have I got myself into? Especially when I warmed it up on the jack stand and this thing's jumping off the jack stand. Oh yeah. Yeah. Shooting flames. Yeah. And you know, it's just, it's just like, man, if it's doing this on jack stands, what's it going to be like, (laughs) you know, on the racetrack, you know? And, and, um, so I, uh, I got in Del Creasy's car for the first time. And, and, uh, what was kind of crazy was like that guy drives old school. He doesn't have a a clutch stop. So basically you can go over center you can go over center with the clutch and still engage the clutch. So if you push it too far, you got to kind of like find, find what neutral is with your foot. Right. Like, so there's no, just, just pushing it down to the floor. So if you push it to the floor, it, it the clutch is engaged again. So right. didn't know that, you know what I mean? Like I, everything <laughs> I've ever drove with a clutch is just, there's a stop and it goes to the, to the bottom and that's it. You know what I mean? That's yeah. neutral. And, uh, and so I jump in his car and, I was breathing so hard that I fogged my visor up and oh. they were coming over the radio and they're like, you know, go. And I was like, well, I can't <laughs> see, you know, and, and I'm sitting here, I'm sitting here going, you know, like, and, and I got the clutch to the floor and I'm pulling a bunch of brake, you know, and obviously it was heating the clutch up. So I, I finally kind of wiped out a little split on my visor and, and hit the fuel pedal and go out there to like 330 feet and, and I nuked the clutch out of it because it was over center and, and going hot. So, basically they gave me the clutch back in a Ziploc bag and was like, here you go. This is, this is your first nitro run. Well, that being said, um, I went out and bought Tim Wilkerson's car as a turnkey deal. And, um, you know, and so it was kind of one of those things where I still had to get my license in this thing. So I went to, before that backing up just a little bit, I went to Frank Holly's. I was, was going to ask you if you went to Frank Holly's or not. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I jumped in his alcohol funny car and uh, and I made like five hits and got my alcohol license and because I've been driving a pro mod, I kind of right. you know it was it felt felt pretty natural, you know. I mean, uh, and uh, shift points and revving it up and swapping feet and all that kind of stuff. I'd already done some of that in a pro mod car, so um, made my five runs, got my my license there with Frank, and then it takes three runs to cross over to get your license in a in a fuel car. So okay. I called Tim Wilkerson up and. And basically was like, Hey man, you know, uh, I still need to get my license to drive this thing, you know? So Tim's like, yeah, I'll sell you a turnkey deal. You know, uh, you come out here, I'll throw in three runs. That way you get your license and you can kind of move forward. And, uh, and so, uh, so anyway, I, I go out there and, and, you know, the first run in Tim's car, um, you know, I gotta go, I gotta, you know, you got half track and then three quarter track and then you gotta make a full pull. So, uh, to, to get your license, it's gotta be over 300 miles an hour. So, uh, you know, kind of like this is what Tim threw in, and this is what I got to do it in. You know, so I was I was so far behind the car, it looked like a snake going down the <laughs> racetrack. You know, and, and I, I thought I did a great job. You know, and I get back, and Tim's like, "Oh my God, don't ever drive a car like that again." You know, and I thought I was going to get a high five, and he was over there scolding me. You know, but it, uh, but Tim, uh, I got a special place in my heart for Tim because of it. You know, and and uh, me and Tim's always been really good buddies, and he's he's someone I look up to as like a father figure in the NHRA. Like you kind of want to model yourself after him. There's, there's not a better guy than Tim Wilkerson in the NHRA, you know? And, and, um, you know, it's just one of those things where we've always had a kind of a bond and a relationship because of it. But, but, uh, I ended up getting my license and making the three runs and, and I ended up running the IHRA no gas series, uh, for a year. And then at the end of the year, the, the sponsorship kind of went away, you know, Evan, um, you know, you know, I could get a hold of him and everybody that he was, was sponsoring, you know, was like, man, this guy's, you know, MIA. So anyway, that, that sponsorship kind of went away, but I had during that time that I, I had, you know, was running the IHR series. I actually won more races that year. I lost the championship to, uh, uh Terry Haddock, but okay. I won more races than anyone, but I also was on fire and blew up more. I lost <laughs> the championship on a on old down technicality. So basically because we old down and blew up and was on fire more than anybody, <laughs> it cost me the championship. So even though we won more races and went more rounds, it just, I had more, more, you know, penalties, I guess, so to speak, that cost me the championship, which, you know, it is what it is. That's the rules. You know what I mean? Right. So, uh, it's, yeah. it's kind of one of those things that would have been really cool to win the championship your first year out, you know, but what it could have, should have, and yeah. you know, because we were blowing it up every other run it, it didn't work out that way. So, uh, you know, uh, but during that time I crossed over to NHRA at Indy and, uh, you know, I, I qualified for Selzy and Tommy Johnson Jr. You know, kind of on my own dime doing my own thing. And, and, um, Don Schumacher strolls through the pit and he's kind of like, who are you? Where'd you come from? What's going on? You know? And, and, uh, I, uh, I just, I was like, yeah, I'm new, you know, with this deal and just still learning to drive and, he says, well, Gary Selzy's retiring. He said he's uh, he's stepping out of the seat and wants to go back home and be with his kids and run his family business and stuff. And he's like, I need a wheel, man. He's like, well, why don't you sell your hunk of shit here and try to, why don't you come drive for me? And I was yeah. like, you know, at the time, Evan, you know, the sponsorship was going away. And I was like, well, that sounds sounds pretty good to me, you know. And, uh, you know, it's so kind of like right place, right time right, kind of right. thing, you know. That's a so, lot of it. You know, yeah, it really is, you know. And, Stab Don strolled through my pit, and, and uh, you know, so it was kind of kind of wild. I was like, man, this this might really have some legs to it, you know. And and so we got to talking more, and 
and uh, I flew into the Richmond race that year and signed a contract with Don for three years. Well, okay. that was, I think, 08. And then, you know, the economy just, uh, yeah. we went into a recession. Right. You know? So, uh, yeah, in 08. So, uh, you know, Don calls me up and he said, look, I'm contractually obligated to you and, you know, emotionally and mentally obligated to you to get this done. He said, but, you know, we're about ready to go into a depression. We're in a recession, you know, and it's just, things are not great with sponsors. He's like, Mopar's pulling out, Oakley's pulling out, like just, just everybody's trying to, to save their business as much as sponsor a race car. And, you know, so it was really tough, you know, and, um, you know, thinking that you're going to be able to drive in the NHRA and a fuel car and, and, and knowing that the, the rug's getting pulled out from underneath you, you know, and, and it's going like, man, you know, like, but it is what it is. You know right. what I mean? Like, you know, it's like farming. It it's, happen, like fa- it it's like farming, right? right. <laughs> Yeah, if it don't happen, it don't happen. And, uh, you know, so uh, Don said, hey, look, I'm going to throw a million bucks at this. And my dad's company and dealership, they, they threw a lot of money at it, too. And uh, and so they kept me out there, you know. And uh, I got to run that first season um, in 2009 uh, with with Don. And we picked up this, uh, <laughs> it's funny, this uh, this brake safe company. And Rich Badalini is the guy's name. And, okay. Um, he's you know, we signed a three-year contract with a guy, letter of intent before that, and had the trailers mocked up and, uh, uh, you know, just, just everything done up, you know, and, and hero cards printed, driver suit stuff, helmets painted, all that kind of stuff. Well, we get to the second race in Phoenix, and this dude's checks bounces. Oh, he's like, yeah, he's like, well, I ain't, I ain't got no money, you know. So then we're scrambling to find a new sponsor, you know, and, and, you know, towards the end of the year, Mopar felt like they could come back on and be a part of it and stuff like that. So we just kind of scrambled around. There was just so many times that this thing, you know, could have, would have, should have fell through. And, and uh, between Don and my dad and our family and different things like that, it just kind of kept us out there, you know. And so I, I owe Don a, a, a huge, you know, debt to, for him to, to see what he saw in me and, and keep me out there, you know, and, and, and knowing that you know, we, uh, we had a real opportunity to, to do big things, you know? And, and so, uh, you know, Mopar kind of came back on and we started doing some of that, you know? And, and then I look up and my second year driving this, this race car, I, uh, <laughs> I have an opportunity to win a championship and yes. I just got to show up to the last race and go two rounds and force ends up having to win the race to, to beat me, you know? And so I was like, you know, we, we should be able to do this, you know, it's like, we worked hard to get here. We know what we're doing. And, Sure enough, I go out first round and, and, uh, you know, I, I'm just devastated. Man. I, I'm still learning to drive the car, much less deal with the pressure of, of trying to win a championship. And, uh, you know, you just feel like your, your heart's ripped out of you. And, you know, and you sit back and you have to watch Force do what Force does, man. Oh, yeah. You know, he's one of the greatest, greatest that ever lived, you know. And, and, uh, he ends up going out there and winning the race and winning the championship and, you know, it just, it was something that was a huge life lesson for me because I didn't know how to deal with that. You know what I mean? Right. Like I'd never been in that situation ever. And, and, uh, you know, I didn't really want to talk to the media. I didn't want to give interviews. I just, I just want to be left alone. You know what I mean? And, right. uh, and you, you know, and it was a learning experience for me that you can't do that. You got to go out there and you got to put a smile on you got to, you know, <laughs> show, right. show good face, man. And, and, uh, you know, but, you know, that's then and this is now. So it was a, it was a big growing experience for me as a man, as a competitor and, and, and having to learn to deal with some of that kind of stuff. But, you know, as you go through life, you, you learn to do some of that stuff and you, you have a lot more downs than you have ups. Yep. 
and so uh, you have to learn to win well, and you have to learn to lose well, and uh, and nobody loses well, you know. No. I mean, it just you know, it's just one of those things where you you have to learn it over time and uh, understand that you you know if you work hard and you're lucky, you might get that opportunity again. But you know what's so crazy is that there's so many guys out here that I've raced with that will never have that opportunity and never have had that opportunity to win a championship. And, and, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where you don't take them for granted and that's why they hurt so much when you, right. you they do slip through your fingers. And, you know, two of the three championships I've won, I've run it up the year before that. And, uh, you know, I think it just, it makes you, you know, that, that taste that it leaves in your mouth, it gives you that just, it, not that you're not working hard every year, but it's just a it's a nasty reminder of like how bad that feels, and you don't want that to happen. Right. You know, we run it up last year and won the championship the year before that, so this year we we're off to a really good start. But but those years that you run her up, you know, and then you come back and win, I think has a lot to do with running up the year before that. You know right. what I mean? And and just knowing like that awful, sickening feeling of doing the work and being so close and your guys doing everything that they're supposed to. And it just, you know, you just come up a little short, you know, and, yeah. and, uh, you know, that's just a sickening feeling, you know, but, but I think that, uh, you know, those are all life lessons that you have to learn as a competitor and, and what drives you and what motivates you and what gets you up on the wheel and, and what gets you to, to be to that next level, you know, and that's something that I think that a lot of people don't even realize, you know, I mean, there's, everybody goes out here and, and works on their physical game. They go to the gym, they eat good, they try to be lean, they try to get on the treadmill. But there's very few people I've met in life that work on their mental game every day. You know, people just get up and go through the motions. Right. And, you know, and there's so many athletes out there. You look at some of these, these professional athletes and, you know, and even in college, you know, there's, there's, they're gifted, right? They, they have a, there's a reason that they're there. But what separates an, uh, a great gifted athlete from being a champion and, and someone that, you know, you look like a, like at a Tom Brady or something like that, it's their mental game, you know, and working on that every day. And there's so many people that just have no idea how to work on their mental game or where to start with that or, or what to do to, to make their, their mentality better. And it's something you have to work on every day, just like your physical appearance. You know, if you eat a bunch of Twinkies and sit around, <laughs> you're going to look like shit, you know? Right. So it's like, you know, you can't do the same with your mental game. You have to, you have to work at it. You have to, you know, I've worked with sports psychologists over the years and I've read a lot of books and, and there's just, there's just so many people that in my sport anyway, that don't even know where to start, you know, but it gives me that edge of, of dealing with pressure and, and rising to the occasion and, and being able to, to look at moments of like, like, you know, when a kid wants a ball versus, right. you know, like there's a lot of people in life that go, I don't, I don't want to mess this up instead of like, this is an opportunity to make history and to, to rise to the occasion and put my name and solidify myself in that, in that position and in that moment in time, you know? And, and so over the years I've learned to do that and I've learned to deal with pressure and I've learned to take on these situ high pressure situations and, and be able to, to give my team that extra starting line advantage and reaction times and different things like that. But it comes from being able to work on that mental side of things and being able to deal with pressure with championships and, the ups and the downs and how they turn something into a positive situation um, from, from something that could be very negative or that you could be worried about, or I've seen guys puking in the trash can, you know, really? they're so nervous. Yeah. You know, they get so nervous because they want something so bad. And something that was really, really great for me one time was uh, Mike Ashley told me, he said, 
He said, don't go chasing it, kid. He said, there's so many people that chase it and push it away from themselves. He said, let it come to you. Right. You know, and, and that, that's, that stuck with me. It was something that, you know, you already know what you're doing. You've already put yourself in this position to get there. And he's like, don't go up there doing something that you feel like you've got to do extra because a lot of times you end up pushing it away from yourself because you make a mistake and because you're trying to do extra, right. you know, he's like, just let it come, come, let it come to you. You know, he's yeah. like, you're gifted. You're, you're, you have the ability to drive and, and to, to do a good job up on the starting line. He's like, well, just keep doing the things that you're doing and let it come to you. He said, don't chase it away from yourself. So that, that really stuck with me, man. And that's something that I kind of live by, you know, just, putting in the work and doing the things that you need to do to put yourself in the situation to, to, to win and turn win lights on, but not going up there going like, I got to have this certain light or right. I got to do this because I'm racing this person. It's just like, do what you do and, and allow it, allow it to come to you. You know? Exactly. No, I agree with you a thousand percent. But when you just asked, you know, it's wonderful. And it's, and that <clears throat> that's a wonderful lesson for every aspect of life, not just drag racing. And you know, there's a saying, take a kid fishing. I say, take a kid to a drag strip because it, it's, it's such a compilation of all aspects of life. But I just want to go backwards a little bit. So there you grew up in Virginia. Is that where you grew up? Yeah. Yeah. I'm Virginia based and, uh, you know, always, always, uh, lived here my entire life, never moved around. Salem, Virginia is where I was born and uh, uh, lived in Charlottesville, Virginia for a while and then kind of moved over to Christiansburg. And, okay. uh, you know, I'm a first-generation farmer, first-generation yeah, racer. Uh, oh, we're going to get this. Yeah. Your, da your dad was not involved, but it was, the, it was the friend that you knew that had the Dodge Dart. Your dad was not a racer at all, huh? Yeah, yeah, dad wasn't a racer. He's a car dealer, you know, and, uh, you what? know, Kenny, Kenny Pace was the, the guy that had the Dodge Dart and Actually, he had a stroke. I actually own oh, the dart okay. now. Oh, really? You know, so he had a stroke and passed away a couple of years ago. Oh. And, and uh, you know, just diabetes. And, you know, he was, uh, that dude raised hell every day of his life. You know, drank, drank a handle of liquor every night. And, oh, you know, just never took care of his, his blood sugar. And, you know, it catches up to you one day when sure. you get older, you know, and ends up having a stroke. And, uh, you know, his whole left side was gone and laid in a bed for four years before he passed wow. away. And, uh, you know, just. Yeah, but, you know, got me into drag racing was like a father figure for me with that. And, you know, just kind of, it's nice that I have his car as well. You know what sure. I mean? Like the, I keep it in my garage. And one day when this, this whole run is done, I'll get it out and bracket race it and do some stuff with it. But right now, I just don't have, have any time. Oh, sure. Know? Sure. And now, what what brand dealership did you does your dad have? What cars does he sell? Gosh, man. They got uh, they got 11 new franchises. Okay. It's nothing high end. It's just like Toyota, Subaru, Chrysler, Ford, Dodge, Jeep, okay. Subaru. You know, like the mainline all that stuff. Mainline stuff. Mainline. mainline stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're the biggest privately unused dealer in the state of Virginia. So oh, wow. Okay. They do quite a, quite a bit of volume. Sheila Motor Mile. But, uh, okay. but yeah, they uh, we have people buy from all over, man. You know, so it's, it's kind of cool. You know, especially with me racing on the national circuit, you know, we, we, I meet a lot of folks and a lot of people want to support the cause and they'll come over, they'll hit me up and be like, I need a new truck or this or that. So we, we always do a good job hooking everybody up and oh, making great. sure that we get them a good deal on stuff. So yeah, it's, it's been good. I've sold a lot of cars for my dad, you know, over good. The years, but, uh, but good. you know, it's just one of those things where you have a lot of fans that want to support what you do. You know? Right. And you pay them back for some of that money. He helped you get going. Now, when you, yeah. used, to, when you used to take the cars off the lot, what, what, what a used cars or new cars that you used to take off the yeah, lot? Yeah, all, all, all used cars, man. Yeah, we, yeah. So, we got this, uh, it's called like a wholesale lot where yeah. it's like high miles, you know, beat up, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But 
you still got to sell them. You know what I mean? Right, so right. It's like if you break, break them, you can't sell them. You know, right. so it's like uh, well, you got to learn to it, fix it, them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, what was your favorite car to steal off your dad's lot? A Fox Body Mustang, maybe? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, he had some uh, like you know, kind of like one of those, uh, I've always been like a Chevy Dodge guy, you okay, know what I mean? Okay. All right. I'm, I'm making, I'm making a, I'm, making, I'm putting a, uh, I'm putting garlic up in front of the mic. I'm putting garlic. <laughs> on my, no, I like, I like them all. I'm only joking. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so what was, I, honestly, I would grab anything that I could find the keys to, to be honest with you. I was even bracket racing trucks back then. Oh really? Like whatever, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah whatever I could steal off the board that they would hang the keys on. Yeah. 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 Now, now did, you, did you ever work at the dealership? I never did. No, I never have. Um, you know, dad finally built me an office, I guess, last year. And, you know, he's got 42 companies and over 900 employees. And uh, it's kind of one of those things where he's kind of like, you know, hey, when you're going to put your big boy pants on, come home and yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, my brother passed away four oh. years ago and, uh, you know, so to opioids and, um, you know, one of those things where, oh. you know, I'm kind of it, you know what I mean, as far as if this business is going to move forward. And, you know, so... There's a there's a lot of pressure on me to kind of hang up my my helmet and come home and work, you know. And, and I'm very very blessed to have that opportunity to to keep racing or to come home and learn some of the family business and do some of that stuff. But you know, when you have 900 people that kind of count on on this thing moving forward, and 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 you know, it's it's tough to to say, hey, I'm going to go out here and play with a race car. Right, you know what exactly. I mean? So it's. Uh, but I mean, I did sign a multi-year contract with Tony Stewart and, uh, you know, I do plan on racing for at least three or four more years okay. and, uh, you know, see, see how that goes. But, uh, but you know, there's just, there's, there is going to be life after drag racing and, right. uh, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff that, you know, depends on me, you know, kind of learning some of that business and keeping some of that stuff going up. I'm never going to be my old man and I have a whole lot to learn, but, but if we can keep that kind of going and support this community the way we have it. You know, we have a Grow in the Future program that we give to schools and, and uh, the police departments and fire departments and all this other stuff. You know, I mean, it's just it's just a lot of a lot of stuff going on here at home and very, very blessed that my dad's super successful and works hard every day to do that. But, you know, it kind of falls on you to, hey, look, you know, when when are you going to pick up the, the slack right. here and, and keep this going? He, he's not he's not getting any younger. You know what I'm saying? Right, so sure. It's kind of but it's so tough, to, you know, the pressure that you have on you because. You know, I feel like I'm really good at drag racing, man. You know, well, obviously, you are. <laughs> obviously you are. Obviously you are. You know, it's like you step out of something that you're very comfortable with and you're good at, and you, you know, you're multi-time champion, and, and it just comes natural into something that you really don't have a, a clue, you know, where right. to start. You know, and so so there's a huge learning curve there, and uh, you know, so that's that's kind of why I signed another multi-year contract with with Tony Stewart. You know, is because. I still want to drag race. I mean, I feel like my run's not done and, you know, I still want to, you know, do what I do. And I right. have 10 guys right now that depend on me to, to show up and win races. You right. know I mean? We got 10 guys on our crew that that's their bread and butter. And, you know, they, they don't have anything else but that. So right. it's, it's a, it's a very torn situation sometimes when you, you think about, you know, the scheme of things, but you know, it's just, but very, very blessed and nothing to complain about. It's just a matter of, how do you go about, you right. know, the transition exactly. when you do it, you know? Exactly. Now, uh, so your, your, did your brother, did he drag race with you? Was he into cars? Yeah, he was into cars and drag racing. Um, you know, so a little backstory on my brother. Um, he, he had scoliosis growing up. So I always played sports and ball, football, baseball, you know, a little bit of basketball. Not, I didn't really have very much up. So I didn't really do the whole you know, basketball yeah, sure. thing, but, uh, 
Um, but yeah, so he, he had scoliosis. He had a 90 degree curvature in his spine. Wow. And, and, um, as he got older, it got continually worse. So he was never really able to play sports or do anything like that. But, but we always kind of like drag race together and did some bracket racing and stuff like that. And just on a local track level, but, uh, but his, his scoliosis got to where they they said, look, you're going to be in a wheelchair. You're going to have to have this surgery. Well, he um, he basically decided to have the surgery. They put nine pounds of titanium in wow. his back to straighten him up. Yeah, to straighten him up. And, you know, so it basically was like a, you took a scissor and cut him from the, the, the base of his head all the way down to the yeah. tel- his tailbone and opened him up. He laid on the table for 16 hours, wow. I think it was, or whatever. But, yeah, pretty big in, in-depth surgery. But got with this pain management doctor and uh you know as an adult you know you're you know my mom and dad weren't able to really monitor right. how much opioids he was having so this doctor was giving him oxycontins that basically the dose that she had given him was for to you know manage a, a terminally ill cancer patient oh my so God. all this being said you know he's taking these oxycontins and laying around and dealing with the pain and this gets hooked on him, you know, and, and, um, and this doctor unfortunately continues to give them to him. And so over the course of three years, I watched these opioids kill my brother. And, uh, basically he laid around so much that he got pneumonia and with, uh, the oxys on top of the drugs, you know, with the pneumonia, he went to sleep and never woke up, you know, and what a tragedy. And unfortunately, yeah, I'm very, very unfortunate, you know, and, and, uh, you know, and I always kind of was mad at him because, you know, with my dad and what the opportunity we have, I was like, why do you just want to lay around and take these drugs? You know, and he was like, oh, man, I can't live with them, can't live without them. And was super, super mad at him for a long time because, you know, until after he passed, I, I did a lot of research on the drug. And, under, you know, now I understand that that opioids block, you know, your dopamine receptor in okay. your brain. And, and all you all you want to do is is just take opioids, you know, and, and so you're not producing any 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 dopamine that makes you feel good or drive or ambition or to get out and do anything so so that being said um you know the 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 doctor she just uh i guess it was three months ago they just um they took her license and put her in prison for three years she killed end up killing three other people but uh um you know just a sad deal man but you know at the end of the day it's why i started my cbd business and uh you know it was one of those things where I, uh, I saw an opportunity to help people manage their pain with CBD and not be on something that's super addictive, like an right. opioid or, or, or such, you know, so everything happens in life, you know, one, one door closes and something else opens. Okay. And, and so, uh, you know, this whole CBD business that we're in with true harvest and true, uh, true you know, we, we, we really do truly feel like we're helping people manage their pain and get through the day. It's not the cure all be all, but, you know, the reviews that we've had and the opportunity to, to have people that can get through the day or sleep through the night or help them manage their stuff without being addicted to something right. that can kill you. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so, so it kind of gives you a warm and fuzzy with that kind of stuff. Right. And that's why I started that business, you know, because of my brother and that situation. And, and, uh, you know, so, but yeah, he used to drag race with me and, you know, we'll, we'll always have that. And, you know, it's just, and I've always put him on my helmet, you know what I mean? Okay. He runs above my name and, and, uh, you know, as a reminder of, of how fast life can change and, you know, how short life is you know, sometimes. So, um, that's why I crawl in the race car too. You know what I mean? It's just like people said, man, you're, you're brave. Well, there's a fine line between bravery and stupidity sometimes, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You don't know what side you're on, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, you know, that being said, but you know, it's a reminder of like, 
you got one run at this thing and you better do something that exactly. you enjoy doing you know, because uh, it, it's over before you know it sometimes, you know? Yeah. Now what, what was your brother's name? May I ask? Yeah. His name is Kyle. Kyle. Okay. Kyle. And did he have a family? Was he married or no? No, no, no family. So thank goodness that that was, you know, he, yeah. was, he was single and, and just kind of mom and dad were taking care of him, you know, okay. kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, he just, uh, he kind of got straightened out with the scoliosis and, you know, I thought, yeah. man, here we go, you know, get an opportunity to kind of start living life, but just got addicted to the opioids and yeah. just couldn't get off of them. That's a shame. So he basically, you said he passed away three years ago. Is that what you said? About four, four years ago. Okay. Yeah. So, so he was able, so he saw your success in the funny car realm. Oh, he, for sure. We'd come out to the races and be a part, you know, oh, that's and sit up there yeah. and cheer me on and stuff like that. Yeah. So very much so, uh, was, was a part of, you know yeah. what we do and right. how we've been doing it you know? right now let me um before we get into the farm i want to just go back a little bit further if that's okay so now we sure. now when you uh your wife what's your wife's name uh rachel rachel okay so was was she dating you when you when you were drag racing or started to get into the funny <laughs> yeah. car or or how does this yeah. you know because sometimes you know you go home and you tell a tell a girl's father you're a drag racer and it's like okay they think of uh i don't know so so how did you meet yeah. how, how did you meet rachel is she a car girl or no yeah no not really uh still not really a car girl today but the uh um, you know, she's, she went to Virginia Tech and I was going to Radford University and, uh, we kind of just met at a bar to be honest with okay. you. Okay. All right. And, honestly. Uh, yeah. Just, I, I, yeah, I just kept bumping into her and I was like, man, we're, we're hanging out here at the same places. Like, you know, what, uh, what's the deal, you know? And, and, and so we just started hanging out and really liked each other. And one thing led to another and within three months I asked her to marry me. Wow. You know? I was, I was like, man, jump, jumping into this quick, right? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. You know, I guess drag racing is quick. So, so yeah, is, yeah. So is life, right? But yeah, uh, pro life, uh, you cut a pro life with that <laughs> engagement, right? Yeah, for sure. And then, uh, yeah, within uh, you know six months after being engaged or whatever, she uh, she ended up pregnant, and and our first boy, Colby, was on the way. Okay. And uh, you know, so uh, it was just one of those things where I was like, well, I guess we're doing this and we're doing right. life. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, and so uh, the whole racing side of things, she was kind of like, what is this? And you know, what's the deal? So she started going with me quite a bit, you know, up until she couldn't anymore with Colby because of the pregnancy and stuff like that. And, and, uh, and then once, once she, you know, had our, our son, uh, you know, basically she was like, look, you go do you man, but I'm not going to drag these kids around everywhere and, and, uh, you know, and live out of a motor home. And, you know, so, you know, my, our house is built on a 500 acre farm and they, uh, she just, she loves that and, and enjoys that and the kids and she's, uh, she's the best mother I could ever ask for for our children. And that she's, yeah, homeschools them here and there. And, you know, they're uh, right now they're in some private Christian schools and stuff, but just whatever it takes, you know, she does for these kids and, uh, you know, just, uh, she's just, just an amazing mother, you know? And, uh, and it's just one of those things where, uh, you know, I lucked out because she's so good with these kids and allowed me to go out here and drag race and be gone and be on the road. And, and, uh, and, you know, she kind of holds the farm down and, and keeps everything going while I'm gone. You know? So how, how many children do you have now? So I got four. I got, uh, wow. Colby's 15 and, uh, Pen- Penny, she's 13. And then, then we went a little gap there. Um, and my, uh, my second oldest son is Tucker. He's, he's five. And then Penny, I mean, uh, um, uh, <laughs> not oh, Penny, cool. but Nellie, Nellie. 
she's uh, she's three. Oh, know? okay. So yeah, yeah. I yeah. think what happened was my kids started getting older. And my wife got bored, and she said, "Hey, well, we need more kids." You know? <laughs> <laughs> now, now, Colby. So he's fifteen. Is he? Is he? Is he interested in cars and racing and what have you? Well, I think he is, but you know, I bought him a junior dragster, and his okay. mama said that if uh, if I you know was going to do that, then she was going to divorce me. So okay. <laughs> I think. Uh, I think she she understands my life and living like a gypsy and on the road and out of a bag and on a plane. And she uh, she wants a little bit more for our, our children, I think, okay. than what I've I've, uh, I've done. But you know, and on the flip side, it's super super challenging to get into the professional ranks to where you make money drag racing. You know, so um, kind of one of those things where I see her side of it that she he needs to focus on the the books and right uh, whatnot. Right. Yeah. So that's good. So, Hey, and you know, it seems from, you know, you, you don't, you're not going to, it looks like you're not going to be doing this too much longer. You're going to be going into, to, to support the family business, which is the right thing to do, you know? So that's, uh, did I lose you? Yeah, no, I, I, I'm going to support my children with whatever they want to do. Yeah, yeah. You know, my dad has been, uh, that way his entire life, you know, for him to allow me to crawl into something that goes 330 miles an hour. Um, and not look back and say, here you go, kid, don't do something stupid. You know, right. like, that's, uh, that's crazy support, you know? So, uh, um, I want to do the same with my children anything that they decide they want to do. I want to be there. And as long as my wife agrees with it, then, you know, we'll move forward right. with it. And I've just, uh, I've been blessed on that side of things with my dad, you know, he's just like, Hey, let's, you know, let's, let's go do whatever you want to do. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, it's, it's to have that support and, and knowing that it's there is uh it's pretty incredible oh yeah and now is your is your mom still alive she is yeah yes now how did she feel when you started to drive funny cars because mom's yeah she didn't like it too much no 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 mom's get pretty nervous sometimes they get more nervous than wives (laughs) yeah yeah mom she didn't care for it too much and especially the first time i was on fire time or two you know my kids were like oh that's so cool you're on fire let us do and i was like no it's not cool when daddy's on fire you know so um you know, but they're young then, you know, and just kind of one of those things where, you know, now they kind of get it. They support it and watch it and stuff, but, and mom's, mom's got a lot more uh, open-minded to it. And, you know, now that I've been doing it for 15 years in right. car, it's, it's kind of, you know, she's seen the good, the bad, the ugly, you right. know what I mean? And you, uh, you understand why people jump out of skyscrapers that are right. on fire to their death. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. Why, you, you see that and you go like, why would you do that? You know, but the, what, people don't understand that these fires are so intense and so hot that it's like, it's like being a frog in a frying pan, you know, wow. you just want out, you know, one of, okay. one of my first fires was one of my worst fires. And, and honestly, you know, it was kind of one of those things where I, I panicked and I'd freaked out. And honestly, it crossed my mind. Like I, I might not get out of this thing. Like this, I might, might die here. Right. You know? And, yeah. and you, you, when that, cr- that thought crosses your mind, you, you freak out, you know, it's, and uh, it was it was such an intense fire that I couldn't see where I was at. My hands were getting blistered up. My legs were getting blistered up. And, and I just, I wanted out. I didn't care where I was at on the racetrack or how fast I was going. I tried to jump out of the car and I hadn't even unbuckled myself. Wow. And it really, it, it set into me, like, you got to calm down here, man. Like, you need to get yourself out of this situation. And, and you're taking in all this smoke and carbon and everything else. And, and you got to learn to hold your breath and get this car, you know, you put the car up against the wall and let it scrub off speed. And then by then the parachutes have burned off of it. And, and you're just, you're just trying to, trying to get everything slowed down and stopped and, and get out. And, and, you know, but no one can tell you how to go through all that no. until you go through all that. Right. You know what I mean? And, and then 
And once you've gotten out of that and, and gotten through that situation, you're way more prepared for the next time something like that happens. happens. But until, until that happens, you know, it's just, it's super intense. And, and I'm going to be as honest and real. I, I freaked out, man. Like, oh, I sure. was taking in smoke and I, I thought I was going to die, you know, and I was like, Oh my God, like, what have I got myself into? And you just, the, the the heat is so intense like we don't really burn through the suit but as you much feel the, as heat. the heat yeah it transfers through the suit and what happens anything that's wet on your body it's like a steam burn it wow. starts to, to cook that cook that sweat on you you know what i mean yeah. so that's why we wear so many layers you know and you layer up you know but uh but it, but that that heat still comes through those suits man and it's uh it's it's intense you know and and you have to learn to to get through that kind of stuff, you know what I mean? And, and, you know, do the things that you need to, to get that car stopped and get out of that thing. Yeah, that's not the glamour part of it. <laughs> so, uh, right. yeah, by no means. Now, was your family there when that fire took place? Uh, no, uh, no, no. I was at, I was in Texas, one of my okay. first races. And okay. uh, it was one of my worst fires, but, yeah. but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it burned the car to the ground, you know, and you're going like, man, that, that didn't go well. <laughs> so, yeah. What did pull the car out and try it again? You know? Yeah. What did what started the fire? Did it blow an oil line or something? Uh, no, it was actually my fault. To be honest with you, I I wasn't used to pulling the pumps on on the car okay. and with my in my pro mod car uh, that I've been running in. So and dropping in a fuel car, like trim the pumps halfway um, after the burnout. Okay. And before you stage the car, you're supposed to pull the pumps on and step off the the pedal. And I just hadn't done it enough, okay. and I didn't pull the pumps on. So. So it was super lean. So it hung all eight rods out of it, and oh, okay. I, I pretty much set, set myself on fire. You know, oh, so okay. nobody to blame but me, right, man. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's uh, now um, <clears throat> to get back. Now your family, with they had, the, they have the dealerships. Did they have a farm, uh, or did they live out in the country? Because now you, you became a, a farmer, right? And you you farm a lot of acres, don't you? Yeah, I'm up to like thirty four hundred acres now. I mean, we rent. We ran a couple, I don't know, like 1,200 of it, but the rest we own. And, uh, you know, it just, I started with a hundred acres and, uh, you know, it just kind of grew into what it was, you know I mean? With, uh, with the farm and the land and stuff, I just, you know, I bought, I bought some land and I was like, man, I don't want to go out here and mow this. And we were at the time I was looking to put a house on a piece of property and the housing market was really bad and I couldn't get my house sold. So it was just kind of raw land. And I was like, man, I'll, you know, I had some fencing around it. I was like, I'll just throw some cows out here and see how it goes, you know. And yeah. so I bought like 50, 50 cows and threw them out there. And, and uh, you know, one thing led to another. And I was like, well, this is great. And then the next thing you know, you're like, well, I can depreciate this and write this off on my taxes yeah, here yeah. and there. And I was like, this makes a lot, a lot of sense to do, you know. Right, right. And, uh, and you know, and so uh, especially with the racing side of things, you know. And and so I just, I truly just really enjoyed it. You know what I mean? I got to where. I just, uh, it was something that allowed me to kind of like my high, high adrenaline, high paced life to kind of like turn that off and slow it down. And, and, you know, just basically just a polar opposite for me, like just, uh, be able to throw my phone in the truck and jump on a tractor and just putt around and get, you know, plant some crops or bale some hay or do whatever you need to do, you know? So it's just like, uh, it, you know, it allows me to slow my life down, you know, because you deal with the media, you deal with sponsors you're dealing with the crowds you know you're dealing with you know going 330 miles an hour right. trying to win championships and pressure sure. you know so it, it just really really fit in really well for my my headspace and allowing me to to find that you know on and off of where uh where you want to be you know mentally and uh you know i was racing is not going to last forever but 
I plan on farming until the day I'm not physically able to. Wow, know? that's great. So you really are passionate for it. You truly are passionate for it. And uh, now, when you when you bought the farm and you started getting involved in it, that's almost as intimidating as getting into a fuel car because it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. it, you know, people say, well, drag. I mean, we used to run a Mustang. It was nothing like you have. It was a that, that whatever that 10 and a half inch tire class a nitrous mustang you know eight second car but uh you know people say, that's no big deal it's only a quarter of a mile but a lot of things happen but with farming you know you you're, you're a fuel car driver and you got to bail hey it's not that easy if you don't know what the heck you're doing how did you how did you get going yeah. with that? you know well the, the most intimidating part of it was uh you know being a first generation farmer you know most of these these families they they hand the land down and equipment right. down and stuff like that to and I had to go out here and, uh, you know, I took out a $4 million loan wow. and, uh, you know, and you know, that's saying a lot that a bank would even loan me $4 million, <laughs> but at the, at the same time, uh, you know, you got to pay that back, you know, and it's just, it's one of those things where, you know, as a, I, I honestly don't know how someone would get into farming, um, nowadays. And, you know, if it wouldn't been for the, the money that I make racing, I wouldn't have been able to right. do it because, you know, I, I basically, everything the farm makes, I dump back into it to pay my debt off. And, right. and you know, I grew the farm as it went, you know, and as it, it goes. But, but I mean, to try to live off of the farm and then still pay back the debt for the equipment and the land and the cattle and everything else, it's just almost impossible, yeah. you know. So, uh, you know, just the, the numbers don't work out, man, you know. So, uh, but the racing side of things allowed me to live off of my racing money. Right. And, and you know, and and be able to any any profit that the farm makes to be able to pay those those debts right. back, and and finally, you know, you look up and you're free and clear, and and the farm's producing, and you're able to buy more land and, right. and roll that back, and then it grows. You know, it went from 100 acres of to up to what 3,400 acres now. Right. You know, so um, but that's over a 15 year span. You right, know? exactly. So it's you know, and it takes time to do that. You know, but uh, but yeah, so uh, that that was pretty. You know, I'm like, why am I doing this? And why should I sign up for this debt? And, you know, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, but yeah. Um, but it's something I'm, I, I really enjoyed and love, you know, and still do. And we, you know, we're we're somewhere around 1,400 head right now, you know, wow. of cattle. Yeah. What do you have, black so Angus? Uh, what kind of cows? Uh, primarily Angus. It's commercial herd, though. Okay. You know, we, we do a lot of, we buy a lot of stockers and feed okay. them for six months and turn them over. Right. And, you know, we, uh, we keep about 700 mama cows right now, okay. you know, and. The rest, the rest of it's kind of stockers and feeders, and you know they'll they'll sit, you know we we grow quite a bit of corn and and uh, you know we we'll go out here. I got some big feed trucks, and we'll we'll feed everything in these bunks, and you know kind of hopefully put three three pounds a, a gain a day on them, you okay. know, and, and you know just kind of kind of one of those things where you know we're finally got to where we've got scales and you know feed bunks and feed trucks and yada yada yada, you know to do to do all the stuff to do right. it right, you know and. And it just, it just takes time, you know, and, uh, I started with just cow calf operation and, you know, um, the money really is, is kind of more in these feeders than it is anywhere. And, um, you know, so we just started doing more of that, you know, but, uh, um, but I've always enjoyed the cow calf side of things, you know, watching new, new life and and grow and yeah, you know, and just kind of watch those calves get big and, you know, and I used to, you know, sell a bunch of balling calves, but now we retain ownership and i started a, a meat company uh okay. with uh, you know so basically uh hagen cattle company we basically sell meat across the country you know we will will you know and that's all of our stuff that we've grown and finished out and and uh you know people get an opportunity to have something that hasn't changed hands six times you know what right, i mean right. they get, uh, 
you know, antibiotic free with, uh, you know, no hormones and, and, uh, you know, get, and, and they're grass raised and grain finished, but, uh, they got just such a different taste to them, man, you know, than what you get in the grocery stores and stuff like that. People don't realize that, you know, the stuff that you buy at the grocery store and, and these different places that, you know, they try to finish those cattle as cheaply as possible right. on brewer's grain and weed and all this yeah. other mess. And it just, it gives those cattle just such a different taste than being finished right. on corn and, you know, and protein and yada, yada, yada. So it's, you know, it's kind of cool to people buy our meat and they go like, oh my God, the flavor in this and the marbleization and this and that, you know, so it's, it's, it's neat, you know, but, uh, but yeah. it just adds value onto my cattle. You know what I mean? Now, how would the P, how would the audience uh, get a hold of the, that? Did you have a website? How do you sell it? Yeah, yeah, HaganCattleCo.com, okay. um, and you can order online. We got a bunch of packages up there, you okay. know, uh, from gr- ground beef to tomahawk steaks to whatever you want, you know what I mean, kind of thing. So, um, so we do a lot of that, and it's it's definitely you know, <laughs> it's more of a East Coast you know business. Right. I think you know because I have had people buy whole cows and ship them to California. I'm like, are you sure you want to do like the shipping on this is ridiculous? Yeah, right? so it's like you know, but. But it's just, you know, people want to support the cause and they do that. But, you know, once we get, you know, kind of middle of the country, we, the shipping, you know, like we do free shipping, but once you get towards California, right. it's a different yeah. story, you know, but, right. but, uh, you know, it just, it's something that's really cool. It's been going for a couple of years. I started it in the pandemic when, okay. um, you know, I looked around, I was like, man, you know, the grocery store shelves are empty. And I was like, I got plenty of beef, you know, right. so it just kind of one thing led to another and. You know, but that, that business itself is bottlenecked because, uh, you know, a USDA kill facility, you only get so many dates per month, right. you know, and, and, uh, you know, you can't kill, but so much. And without that stamp, those, those, you know, those packages can't ever, uh, leave the, leave the state, you know, right, so it's yeah. like, uh, you gotta, gotta do it the right way. So it's kind of, it's bottlenecked a little bit. It'll only be so big because of, uh, the kill, kill dates that you're able to get, you know, but, uh. But I don't want to start up a USDA kill facility. So, right, right, so it's exactly. one of those things where it's just going to be what it's right, going to be. You right, yeah, you'll work around it. Yeah, you'll race with the car right. you got. You'll race with the car you got. Now, do you, uh, and it's a wonderful opportunity for your children to grow up on a farm like that. So, with the, for, them, for sure, you know, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, we got, we got opportunity for them to play in the creeks and, you know, catch snakes and turtles and fishing and, you know, I mean, just, just, they're very, very blessed, and they don't even know it. You know? Well, yeah. Well, they'll they'll find out sooner or later. But it's like anything in life. But that now, does your wife like the farm? Oh, she shuts the gate and says, "I'll see you when you get back home." You know what I mean? Like it's, uh, she, yeah. she's kind of introverted, so she doesn't like the crowds and the people and the the loudness and the right. noise and you know. So she's very, very introverted. So it just kind of the farm stuff. She. You know, I just built her a big old horse barn, and she's, okay. she's all into horses, and my kids are into horses and riding and stuff, and they do that, and, uh, you know, it's just kind of one of those things where that's that's her thing, man. You know, she, yeah. she just loves that and, and uh, loves the farm. I mean, I bought her a, a new Tahoe, I mean, a new Suburban a couple of years ago, and I think she's got, like, I think it's, like, three years old. I just traded it in this last month, but uh, it was, like, three years old and had, you know, I think it was, like, 18,000 miles. Oh, yeah, yeah, she was. She doesn't go anywhere. Right, you know? right, right, so right, right. She's just yeah. content being there, you know. Yeah, and is she home? And you said she homeschools, huh? And, she, they, and they also go to a Christian yeah. school, you kids. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she does. She's done some homeschooling in the past, you know, when it fits and works for her right. schedule and the kids' schedule and, you know, during the pandemic and different things like that. So, uh you know, but uh, we have a great little Christian school that's uh, Auburn Baptist there at the house that we uh, we put them in, and they they do a good job with them and stuff. So, 
um, you know, it's just, it's just important for our kids to come up right. And I just couldn't ask for a better mother um, than my wife or for our young. Oh, she, she just does a tremendous job. Yeah. That's that's one thing, and I bet you your mom, your mom probably dotes all over her grandchildren a lot, right? Does your mom, <laughs> yeah, she yeah, probably, yeah. She, she probably dotes all over. Do your parents live far away from you? Uh, no, everybody's right there with her parents and my parents. We're all within fifteen minutes. Of oh, nice! Time. That's it's wonderful. Really nice. That's really it's a, that's a nice. <clears throat> that's a real blessing. And I know because of the, the tragedy with your brother that you started the CBD business. So you only took part of. So you're so you're how much hemp are you raising? May I ask? Well, to be honest with you, I, we're not raising any hemp anymore because uh, we made so much of it. I, okay. I first planted a couple hundred acres um, mm-hmm. and had no idea how much you know, it would produce, but I was like, well, we're going to do it. We're going to do it big and we're going to yeah. do it all the way, you know, and do it the right way, you know, from start to finish, you know, from growing it to, you know, cutting it to, you know, processing it right. to bottling it, you know, it's going to be, you know, our brand, our label, our deal, you know what I mean? And people are going to get what they're supposed to, you know, unfortunately in the CBD business, there's no regulation. So, okay. you know, some of these people that have tried CBD and they're like, man, it doesn't work for me. Well, you know, there's, how do you know that it's even, you're getting what you're supposed to Unfortunately. I'm not about government regulation, but that's one business that, that needs it, you know, because, okay. you know, it could just be all, you know, coconut oil or palm right. oil, you know, you don't really know what these people are putting out there. But with me and our business, obviously, I got to stand behind with my name, right. uh, what we're doing, you know, so it's really nice to know that, you know, you get a, you know, something that's, that we've grown on our farm from start to finish, and it really has the amount of CBD that it's supposed to in it, you know, and, and that's what's really cool is the reviews that you read, you know, people you know, how it's helped them. And, you know, even with restless leg syndrome, all the way to, you know, anxiety, to, to okay. being able to, have, you know, help, I've helped these little kids with seizures and stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's unreal. But, uh, but the, uh, but, you know, that being said, we grew so much of it. Like, so basically I have 8,000 liters left and so wow. one liter will make 900 products. So wow. we, we got a lot of oil, yeah. you know what I mean? So yeah. well, I, don't, I don't see us growing any hemp anytime yeah. soon. Now, now the, uh, how do you plant the hemp? Do you plant it with a corn planter or with a grain drill? How do you plant hemp? Uh, we, we plant it by hand, man. We planted 200 acres and, you know, with uh, strip strip irrigation and, uh, you know, plastic and drip, okay, drip wow. tape. And, yeah, yeah, it's just a process, man. Like we had 25 people out there planting and harvesting and growing and pruning and cutting. Okay, I mean, so it was it, all by hand. Was, yeah. Yeah, all by hand. Yeah, oh. it was it was incredible. Wow. You see, we raise sweet corn. We plant with a planter, but we hand harvest. So it's a little bit different than what you're doing. Wow. So you do it all by hand. Yeah. Well, it's a good, now the, will that CBD oil, do you have to store it a certain way? So it doesn't go, does it, does it age? Or so go? it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't really have a shelf life. Okay. I mean, once it's in an oil form like that, like, so obviously it does, if you, until you get it into the oil form and it's still in like a plant, plant or a flower, it, it definitely has a, uh, you know, a, a shelf life, but once it's in the old form and concentrated, um, it really, I mean, it could last 10, 15, 20 okay. years, you know what I mean? Okay. So, so it's, uh, it's not really uh, an issue, you know, but like I said, we got 8,000 liters of oil sitting there. So right. I got, we got more oil than I think we'll be in TV business for at least 10 or 15 more yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your son will be, <laughs> yeah, we your, don't son will, anything else. Yeah, your son will be running it. And, uh, and what's the name of the hemp company in case the listeners want to get uh, hold of it? Yeah. It's called true harvest. True harvest. And it's T R U. Okay. True yeah, harvest. T R U 
H-A-R-V-E-S-T.com. Okay, True Harvest. Okay. Okay, so trueharvest.com. You know, so it's a, well, that's, you know, that's really, it's, it's wonderful, and it's wonderful that, I mean, sadly, that your brother passing away was, you know, was the impetus for this. But, you know, like you said in life, you take one situation and one loss does does something and is a blessing to other people, right? Because you went into that. So it's uh Yes, sir. It's, yes, sir. It's, 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 uh, we've helped a lot of people so far. So it's a, it's a, you know, unfortunate blessing in disguise for us. Yes. You know? Now, let me, now I'm going to ask you a loaded question. I told you there's not going to be any gotchas. And this really isn't, this isn't a gotcha. But, all right, so if if I were to meet you someplace, I didn't know who the heck you were, we're going to, whatever, in a store, in a rest area, and we started to talk, and I said and I said to you, oh, geez, you know, if, what do you do for a living? What would be your knee-jerk reaction? Uh, probably just farming, man. Oh, like, so yeah, you're a farmer. You're, doing forever. Okay, so you're a farmer. Okay, so you're a farmer, not a drag race. That's a knee, the knee, the knee-jerk reaction. <laughs> you should call my... Uh, <laughs> You need to when you when you hang up here, call my uh, my phone number and listen to my voicemail. It's uh, it's pretty pretty funny. It's, okay, uh, it's basically it says uh, you know uh, farmer extraordinaire part time funny car driver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get a chance, just just let it go to voicemail. Yeah, I will definitely definitely. So so basically, that's usually the qualifier. What you, you know, it's also when you go to the mailbox, right? And other qualifiers, you go to. There's not that many magazines anymore, but I always loved magazines. And whatever mag, if you get, let's say, a farm magazine, a car magazine, the one you go to first is really where your heart is. You know what I'm saying? So if you said yeah. that you, if you said that you're a farmer, then that's really that really is uh, you know what you're. Well, you know, I stand out the ropes. You know, we everything with NHRA is very fan engaging, and you know, every ticket is a pit pass. So. People buy a ticket, they get to come in and hang out beside the drivers and the pit crew and all that right. kind of stuff. So we're very, very accessible. And I honestly stand at the ropes talking about farming more than I do about drag racing. Oh, really? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I think it's because people can relate to it. You know what I mean? Right. Someone in their family farms or their cousin or uncle right. or like they grew up on a farm. Oh, right. You know, so so everybody kind of asks how the farm is and I tell them, you know, that all the cattle are fat and happy like me, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. When I was a young man, when I, when I was a young man and I was in college, now you're in in Virginia. Well, well, but uh, Tony, your team is out of where? Where is the team based out of? Your drag race team? It's not based out of uh, out of Brownsburg, Indiana. Oh, Indiana. So what is that? Division three or Division two? I don't really. I think it's. Uh, I'm not real sure to be honest with you. I think okay. it's three. Okay, and Virginia but, should be two. I think right. Virginia two. Yeah, Virginia right. two. Right, because when I was in college. I worked with NHRA and Division One, the land of Ned, with Greg Exacalis, who I don't even know if he's still alive, but uh, but Greg Exacalis. I remember I was a young guy and I was working uh, the staging lanes at Maple Grove Dragway, and at that particular point, the uh, <clears throat> the alcohol cars and everything would stage there. And I remember we're dealing with Kenny Bernstein, but he was he was uh, the Chelsea King then, not the Budweiser King. I don't know if you remember Kenny Bernstein when he was drag racing funny car oh yeah kenny was a man man he's a great lever yeah is he, uh, yeah is, is he still with us kenny yeah yeah he's not racing anymore no, but he's still like, and kind of comes out the race. Yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 kenny sure. yeah kenny yeah so i had a lot a lot of great a lot of great memories with that <clears throat> but you know i want to get back to your family for uh, for a couple of minutes, if you don't mind, because we spoke about Matt the Drag Racer, which is a wonderful, inspirational story for a lot of people. We spoke about Matt the Farmer, but now we got to talk about Matt the 
the, the dad and the husband. So when you get in that drag race car, because that's, I mean, even though farming is, could be very, very dangerous, sometimes more dangerous than a drag race car, but when you get into that drag race car, what are you, what, what, what are you, I know that you've done a lot with, with psychology, you said about winning, but there's got to be a part of your mind that really is thinking about your family when you get into that car. How does that affect you? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think obviously anytime every weekend you got to walk away and count your fingers, you know, make sure all 10 fingers and toes are there. It's always uh, something you think about, you know, I mean, and, and, but, you know, I think that there's a, a respect that goes with what you're stepping into, you know, I mean, if you, right. you know, my dad always told me, you know, use your head for something more than a helmet holder, you know, and the pedal <laughs> works more than one way. you know, it works, the pedal works two ways on and off, you know what I mean? So I think that, you know, obviously stepping into the car, there's a respect for it and what we do, but also, you know, you, you can't fear doing what you do. You know, right. you have to be, you know, on top of your game and understand that, you know, things can happen and they happen in a blink of an eye. But you, uh, you, I think if you crawl in that car and you have that mentality of it ain't going to happen to me, you're foolish. You know, right. you do this enough and you have enough 300 mile an hour passes, some bad stuff's going to happen to you. There's just sure. no way around it, you know. And, uh, but you have to have that mentality of being ready for it and being able to deal with it when it does happen, right. you know? So that, that mindset also goes into thinking about your family and, you know, what you're doing. And, and this is, you know, how I know how to provide for them, that, you know, and it's something I'm good at, you know, right. it's something that I feel like, you know, I, you know, it, Tony Stewart wouldn't sign you up to drive his race car if he didn't feel like you were good at it right. as well, you know? So sure. it's, like, it's like one, one of those things though, where, you, you still have to respect it, but you know, this is, this is just what I know, you know what I mean? Sure. It's what I, what I feed my family with. And, and, you know, I, I do like, obviously I'm not a daredevil. I don't, I want to go back home and see my kids every day right. and, and you know, spend time with them. And, and, you know, I, I try not to take excessive risks, you know, that I don't have to, you know, because farming in itself is dangerous. And I feel oh, like sure. there's more dangerous in farming than drag racing. Yeah, you know I mean? exactly. I, I got, I got hit with a hay wagon, you know, a couple of years ago and I thought it killed me. You know what I mean? It was just really? one of those things where it busted all the capillaries in my eyes and you could wow. see the tractor tire on my back and it cracked a couple of ribs. And, you know, it's just, it just, you know, one second I'm not paying attention farming, you lose an arm or leg, you know, or sure. your life, you know, and it just, exactly. just, uh, you know, some, some of the, so I do, I do two occupations that probably are not like, uh, the, the best as far as low risk management, yeah, yeah, but, exactly. but it's, uh, you know, and honestly they say what well, more people are killed by cows every year than sharks, you know, stuff like really? that. You yeah. Know I mean? so it's like, yeah, it's just, it's crazy. But, uh, um, you know, it's, but anyway, that, that being said, you know, I'm very, very passionate about my family. And as I, I have gotten older and I've accomplished more in the sport. Um, you know, you get used up at first thinking like you get so involved and you have to prove yourself and you have to be out there and you have to do every interview and you have to be on every little podcast and every TV show because you're trying to make a name for yourself. And now as I've gotten older and I've accomplished more in the sport, I've turned a lot more of that stuff down as far as leaving my family earlier right. to go. There'd be times where they'd want you to go in the middle of a week to right. go do a store opening or this and that. And sure. it's just, it's not worth my time and energy and effort, right. you know, because it's, it's that time away from my kids. Sure. And that's that time. I think that, you know, at first I didn't realize it, but you, you never get that back. You know what I mean? Like exactly. when you're gone and they're grown up there, it's over, you know, right. it's not, there's not a, Hey, we'll do this later. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like it's that, that time you miss is So there's no amount of championship. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of anything that you can make that replaces that, you know, and it, 
it's been a hard lesson with my first two because they are pretty much grown, you know, 13 and 15 and, right. and they're, they're getting there, you know, and it's just like, you missed out on all that early on. So these, these next two kind of coming up, I feel like I got a little do over, you know right, what I mean? Right, so right. it's kind of putting myself in place and, and, uh, you know, to make sure I have more time there with my kids and my family yeah. and my wife and stuff like that. So, you know, it's just what you learn, you know, as a man and as, you know, uh, you're trying to make a name for yourself yeah, and, right. you know, get sponsorship and stuff like that. It's, it's tough, you know, it's a right. balancing act and, you know, you can't, you know, if I give you more time, that means that I'm not out there doing my job and providing for my family. And if right. I'm not providing for my family, then, uh, then you know, you're, you're not doing what you're supposed to as a man either, you know? Exactly. So it's kind of, it's, it's, a, it's a tough balancing act, you know? It's a, it's, you know, it, it definitely is. And, you know, just listening to you, and we're going to get ready to close now because I know you have another uh, engagement in about 20 minutes, but this has been absolutely wonderful. And, you know, just getting to talk to you, and I really appreciate you coming on the show. And, oh, and yeah. I appreciate the time. No, telling your story to the audience. And, you, and I mean it sincerely. Uh, you, and I'll say this, and uh, I may embarrass you, but you know you're a drag racer you're a farmer but the love that you have for your wife and the love that you have for your children and the close-knitness of your family and that the sorrow that you still that you will always feel that your life changed when your brother passed away speaks more about who you are than all the drag racing wins all the farming successes all the marbleizing in the meat because you know and I want my audience to see this, that you are, that the character of who you are is not the drag racer. It's the farmer, but really the family man and how you love your children, love your family, how, how you, how you're close knit together. And I really think that that's a, that's the other things are wonderful, Matt. And I mean, it sincerely, but if I were to, you know, I do this show to, to inspire people to aspire all right and right. and and that's what it's all about and your successes and everything you've done are wonderful wonderful accomplishments and by the grace of god but i could tell by the tone of your voice when you talk about your wife when you talk about your family when you talk about the children when you talk about the farm that is really who you are and, and that's that's wonderful because you did not let anything your successes change you whatsoever that you're you're, you're well, thank you brother you're you're rooted you're rooted in the soil and that really is that's a that's a wonderful thing because so many people couldn't get ruined i mean you have so many i mean so many successes it's a you're blessed in so many ways but your voice picks up a little bit when you talk about your wife your voice picks up a little bit when you talk about when you talk about your kids your voice picks up a little bit when you talk about about the farm and and your voice is great when you talk about drag racing but it's not the same you are a farmer and (laughs) you're a husband and father first you're a husband and farmer first a farmer and you're a drag racer last so you're 100 percent correct when you tell people and i'm a good beta test because i never met you all right, so have a good beta. yeah. There you go. Have a good beta yeah. test. But listen, well, one, I do appreciate it, my man. Now, one last, one last thing, and I'm going to put you on the spot again. I'm famous for this. If you would like to just tell, if you have from all your accomplishments, but from the character of the man that you are, if you would want to just tell the audience something, what would be one little nugget of Matt Hagen to give to the world through this podcast? You know. You, there's very, there's not very much of people with their word nowadays, you know. So my dad always told me, he says, say what you mean and mean what you say and stand behind it. And, you know, I think that, that and nowadays it just, it doesn't, there's not very many people that can carry that weight and really mean it. And, 
you know, so if you believe in something and you mean it and you say it, you stand behind it. And that, that's what makes you a man out there today. It's not, it's not what you accomplished. It's not what you, you've done. It's, it's just standing and giving your word with something and standing behind it and being truthful to yourself with what you believe in and what you do. And whether it, people want to hear it, not hear it, like it, dislike it. But if you believe it in your heart, you stand behind it. And, you know, that to me creates and builds character. And that's something that I try to pass on to my, my children is that, you know, it, it's just, it, 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 it comes out and you believe it in your heart. You need to say it and stand behind it. But, you know, like I said, say what you mean and mean what you say. Okay. Well, that's wonderful. And I, that's how uh, I was brought up also and uh, didn't have the level of success that you have, but brought up also. And you, if, you, if, you, if your word is nothing, you're nothing. I don't care what you have, right? If your word is nothing. And then one other thing I'm going to ask you to do, because remember when I, when I spoke to you in the beginning, I said, I want this to be a family and Hagen family heirloom. Then I'm going to send you the file that you could have it for years. It's going to be a audio, but I would you like to give a message to your children and your wife? And I know I'm putting you on the spot, buddy, but you're a drag racer. Yeah. They're well, pro- no, a hundred percent. Well, just, you know, they, you know, as much as I do, they, they've had to sacrifice the most, you know? So, um, I, I guess my message would be, thank you for allowing me to be me and allowing me to chase my dreams and my career and allowing me to, to go out there and be gone so much. And, to sacrifice their time, you know, to, to allow me to do me and to provide for our family. So my message would be thank you for their sacrifice. Well, that, that, that's wonderful. And I know as a Christian, I know that your brother is up in heaven and he's very, very proud of not only your accomplishments, but the man that his brother is. And I think that's absolutely, I think that's absolutely wonderful. What I'm going to, now you're going to have to get going. I'm going to, I'm going to do my exit music and I'm going to just ask you to stay on, stay on the line for one more minute after we exit. But sure. I, want to, I want to thank you so much for being on the road. This is on the road to Matt Hagen and you know, follow him. He's got the, give him the website for the beef again. It's, it's given because it's I, uh, yeah, Hagen, Hagen cattle cup, co.com and for, and it's, it's, and for the farm again, for the CBD. Yeah. It's true harvest. T-R-U-H-A-R-V-E-F-T.com. Harvest, all right. And watch him in an HRA drag race. And if you go to the track, go and see him. Right. Oh no. I want to ask you a question. Was Don Schumacher, is he the Schumacher battery charger company? Or is that, that not that? Is That's, that? Yeah. Oh, it That's is. That's him. Oh, yes, that, that is him. Okay. So listen, you're an, you're an inspiration. Stay in the line. I want to thank you so much for for coming on this and taking your time. And I just want, and the audience will will be inspired by it. And where will we be next week? Who knows? But we'll be on the road to somebody who is passionate about either farming or firing orders. So you have a blessed day, and thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Now stay on the line. <laughs>